Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Ask an Addiction Specialist. I'm Dr. Bob Weathers, and I'm with my friend... Odie Martinez. Hi, Odie. Nice to be here with you. Nice to be here as yeah. well. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate you being with us this afternoon. Uh, by way of quick introduction, just a word about myself. Uh, I'm a professor of clinical psychology, uh, working locally here in Southern California at California Southern University. I work exclusively at this point in, in uh, chairing doctoral dissertations, most of which have to do with addiction and recovery. So it's uh, in the area of uh, research interest of mine for sure. But secondly, and more of where I spend my time each week is that I'm a full-time recovery coach, which means I work with groups at local treatment centers as well as individuals, both here locally as well as online. I've got clients, uh, I feel really fortunate to have clients all over the world that I meet with uh, via Skype and other technologies nowadays, and that keeps me busy working with individuals who are seeking uh, recovery from addiction. Uh, and also their loved ones who are seeking to support them. So that's a bit about my background. Why that's important is that uh, we'll be taking a, a psychological look uh, primarily at addiction and recovery, which is only one of multiple perspectives. In fact, last week, our, our topic was holistic treatment with a map, and we looked at different kinds of perspectives. Uh, we actually talked about them in terms of different kinds of intelligence or different developmental lines. And so there certainly is academic intelligence, but we talked also about body intelligence, mm -hmm. We talked about creative intelligence. We talked about spiritual intelligence, all of which are important and relevant to any conversation about recovery for sure. And we, we uh, underscored the importance of two that are particularly, uh, uh, two domains that are particularly close to my own uh, expertise and background, which were namely uh, emotional intelligence and social intelligence. Today's podcast is going to be diving deeply into those two domains, emotional slash social intelligence. And our topic for today is looking at shame as interpersonal. And we'll be looking at an emotion, shame, and we'll be looking at it interpersonally in the context of social relationships. Mm. Uh, we're in a series over the last several months of looking at shame as it relates to addiction and recovery. We've given different definitions of shame, and you can look at our recent podcast right through last week where we define shame as being uh, representing our emotional reaction to any kind of threat to social acceptance where we feel like we're going to be kicked out of a group of people, particularly people that love us mm -hmm. and that we love and that we rely on. It's also related to a threat to self-esteem, and those two are very much connected. Another way that we talk about it is we distinguish it between shame and guilt. And I'm going to rely on Mr. Martinez to help us with this definition. <laughs> Sounds good. So shame and guilt. What Dr. Bob has so graciously <laughs> taught me about the two is shame is being something, um, saying that I am something bad. Mm. Guilt is admitting that I did something bad. Yeah, and that distinction is a very important distinction as we've talked about, Odie, and you and I shared examples. We were just talking before we started today. I really appreciated, Odie, you're opening up your life, and, and I want to do the same. In fact, we have an exercise later today that will give us a chance to do more of that, where right. we actually look at this distinction and how it makes such a difference. Mm -hmm. Both you and I have done things that, that uh, we feel badly about, right. and, and the tricky part is to feel bad about something 
bad enough to where you want to change it, but mm -hmm. not so bad that you're stalled or paralyzed. And mm -hmm. shame will do the latter. Shame will actually freeze us up. Mm -hmm. um, let me pause for just a second and invite all of you who are watching to feel free to ask questions. You can submit those. We're in the studio with Austin Armstrong, our, our producer today. Austin will moderate those questions and send them to Odie and me, and we can respond to those in real time. And also be sure to share today's podcast if you like it. Share it with friends of yours. We're available through Ask an Addiction Specialist on Facebook. I always feel like an advertisement. <laughs> It's my one chance to be a used car salesman, right? <laughs> no, uh, we're available on YouTube. We're available. Uh, you can go to Beginnings Treatment Centers, who are our, our, uh, our sponsor for today's uh, podcast. We can go to beginningstreatmentcenters.com, and there's podcasts that we now have, I think, over 45 uh, podcasts available. They're almost a year's worth of podcasts. So uh, uh, review those yourselves, and uh, please... Uh, show them with friends. I have to tell you that I've had any number of clients that have worked with me over the past uh, year of our doing podcasts that find great value in reviewing these podcasts. They're really informative. So mm -hmm. whether you're um, in recovery yourself from addiction or are a loved one of someone who's in recovery or maybe a, a, a healthcare professional who works with individuals in recovery, there are real resources here and I want to uh, direct you in that direction. So. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you a quick story as we as we engage today. I don't know how many of you remember vinyl records. So I'm going to look at Odie. Do you remember what a vinyl record is, Mr. Martinez? No, but uh, luckily from my hip hop roots, I, <laughs> I I learned what a vinyl record was. Okay, hip hop roots count here for sure. <laughs> Some years ago, in fact, over 40 years ago, I was a student. I was just studying. I was actually I was in my first year as a psychology major. And I went to the record store and bought one of these black vinyl records and I brought it home. I was very happy to bring it home mm -hmm. and I put it on the stereo. And as it turned out, my bedroom was down the hallway from the stereo. Mm -hmm. What I do at night is I put on a record. It just plays the, uh, do you know what a, a, a needle is on, a, on yeah. a record? Okay, a needle and a tone arm. The needle goes across the record, produces the sound. Mm -hmm. And it was down, down the hallway where I put this on. And at the end of the record, it would reset and that'd be the end of it for the evening. So I'd go to sleep listening to music. Mm -hmm. So I bought this record, put it on that night and went down the hallway, went to sleep, woke up the next morning about eight hours later and heard this sound, and went, oh no, uh -huh. jumped out of bed, ran down the hallway to look and see, and uh, the, the, the tone arm was halfway through the record. What had happened is that for dinner that evening, I'd had some cornbread, <laughs> a little piece of cornbread somehow had fallen onto the record and it was sticky enough that it stuck there. And so when the tone arm and the needle came across there and hit it, they didn't move any further. This is a brand new record. Well, mm -hmm. it's, it's important to know that the needle on a, on a record player is made of diamond mm -hmm. and uh, so that it doesn't wear out. But the, that's the good news, bad news. The bad news is that diamonds don't wear out. Mm -hmm. And so what it did all night long is that diamond went round and round and round in the same vinyl groove on that record. So I almost ended up with a 45. <laughs> it almost it cut a very deep groove in the record. Wow. And so for a poor student... That was, a, that was a disaster for me because it was a big deal for me to buy yeah. a record. Sounds heartbreaking. It was, it was heartbreaking. I was very disappointed by that, to say <laughs> the very least. At any rate, over the years as I've studied psychology and come to understand how it is that our, our senses of self are developed, that mm -hmm. image of the record going around and around and around in a groove 
uh, has come up for me oftentimes because mm. it's kind of how it goes for us developmentally. Yeah. So if you have a mental image or if you can even imagine what I'm talking about as, as how that can go. Oh, by the way, I should say I did clean the, uh, the, the uh, uh, cornbread crumb <laughs> off of the record, cleaned it up, and put it, uh, put, started the record back over again in hopes that maybe all was well. But guess what? All was not well. Yeah. <laughs> so what would happen predictably is that the, the, the tone arm went across the record. Halfway through the record, it fell in what was now a chasm, <laughs> a plastic chasm. And that's as far as it would go. It just kept going around and around. So the record was done. And uh, that, that was the end of that. So what we're going to talk about today are how it is that patterns are laid down. Uh, and oftentimes, not just one, one experience, but multiple experiences, such as a record going around and around for eight hours. I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of revolutions that Diamond Stylus had with that particular groove. Mm -hmm. It's enough to say that, that it gouged out a deep divot. Mm -hmm. And it's a bit like that in terms of our emotional lives, is that if you've, been ex if you've experienced, we'll, we'll flesh this out more, if you've experienced some pattern, particularly growing up developmentally, so it's lots and lots of practice, is that you'll find later in life, in adulthood, you'll find yourself in a situation that smells like, hears, sounds like, looks like something that happened before, mm -hmm. and sure as shooting, you'll end up falling into that divot. That's how it goes for us emotionally. So hold that image of the LP, of the record album in your mind as we move forward. What we'll be looking at is shame, as we discussed it, mm -hmm. in terms of relationship patterns. Think of the divot in Bob's record. Mm -hmm. And we'll be looking at shame as being uh, a social emotion, that it's interpersonal in origin. Any vulnerability that you have to not feeling good about yourself or worried about being rejected by me or somebody else that you care about, or for me the same way, mm -hmm. its roots are interpersonal. It would make sense that it would show up interpersonally right. uh, later on because its origins are actually in the relational realm. Mm -hmm. So let me talk about a couple of examples and we'll flesh out other examples as we move forward today. One is uh, anybody that you've been close to, particularly as a child when you rely on caregivers to take care of you, mm -hmm. if you've experienced being violated or abused, that's an example of, of a wound that runs really deep, and I think that we all know that. Mm -hmm. And many of us have experienced this. In fact, those that have struggled with addiction, there's an extremely high percentage of those that have struggled with addiction that have known uh, abuse by important caregivers in their lives. Mm -hmm. And so that's one example of how you can have an experience. And sad to say, oftentimes it's not a single experience, it's repeated experiences. They'll actually gouge out a fairly sizable vulnerability right. in one's psyche. If not in one's family, then I want to offer another example, and that would be in the context of one's society. And you mm -hmm. and I have talked about this as well, Odie, is that if there are parts of me that are valued by, by society and other parts that aren't, which is to say that society uh, maybe turns its back on certain parts of myself that are valuable to me, we will tend to learn how to turn our backs on that ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so society itself can actually gouge out one of these large divots. And we will be talking about more specifics in a second. But this gets us in the field of examples of how it is that trauma can grind its way into our psyches and lead us to feel self-doubting, uh, feel bad about ourselves in the way that you define shame, and have a, a, a major impact on our lives, particularly in the context of addiction, this is relevant, because 
many people will find addictive behaviors, whether it's to substance or to other behaviors, as a remedy, at least a temporary remedy, Mm -hmm. to not feeling good about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Which, in other words, one of my antidotes to shame is to get high or to numb out. And once we learn that, it's a built-in, kind of built-in reinforcement. The sad part, as we've talked about, We've talked about the poor get poorer. Mm-hmm. Is that I may start with a vulnerability to shame, mm-hmm. uh, a, a vulnerability to addiction owing to shame, mm-hmm. and then as I engage in addictive behaviors, you and I both talked about this, Odie, is that the addictive behaviors themselves will oftentimes perpetuate the sense of shame and make mm-hmm. it worse for us, and you get locked in this kind of cycle, which is that. Right. I'm ashamed, so I adopt addictive behaviors to feel better. The addictive behaviors are associated with shame. So now I'm ashamed, so I need more addictive behaviors, and you're lost in this loop. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, I feel like I believe that goes with a lot of different things, obviously. You know, not just substance, but yeah. as we talked about before, behavior yeah. as well. Yeah. Not necessarily what I've talked about either about pornography, but even, um, for example... My wife and I have a, have a very horrible habit of uh, hitting snooze when we wake up in the morning. And I, Austin and I talked about it this morning, too. And, but he asked me when he came in, he was like, hey, are you a morning person by any chance? Like, Doesn't sound like it. Absolutely not. I am not. You hit the snooze yeah. button person. Yeah. And he said that he hit, I hope this isn't too personal, Austin, but he said he hit the snooze button like five times this morning. And All of a sudden, I, something comes flying onto the set. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I could relate because yeah. that's that's me yeah. every single morning, yeah. and yeah. I just feel like what you're talking about yeah. that kind of hit home with me of the the that's a great vinyl image. of yeah. just like yeah. you're you're grooving that into your brain, and I feel like my wife and I have already grooved that into our brains of yeah. just like mm-hmm. we're so comfortable in bed yes. that we're yes. just like you know what. You know, I've never thought of this before. I'm a, I am a morning person. I, you know, as I shared with you guys earlier, I get up every morning and I swim very early and so on. I am a morning person. Mm-hmm. But, so I wouldn't be inclined to think of this, but I actually love the image of the snooze button because it's mm-hmm. a little bit like that. You think of snooze. Mm-hmm. It's snooze is just like, oh, I feel so good to snooze. And whatever our addictions are, <laughs> whether it's literally to a snooze button, I'll leave that to the experts to talk about whether, whether snooze addiction counts or not. But... <laughs> But it's it's an image of what it goes like for us around mm-hmm. addictive behaviors, including substances. If I can snooze and mm-hmm. feel better, feel comforted, like you yeah. and your wife in bed, yeah. then why wouldn't I do that? And it's self-reinforcing. Yeah, you know? exactly. And so it's it's up to five snoozes and then six snoozes, and I don't know I don't know how far it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Shame uh, is a body response, and if we use that as an analogy, you know, like sleeping in mm-hmm. feels so good. And having to get up feels so harsh, right? Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, so exactly. bright, it's so cold, it doesn't feel good. <laughs> and so, and so, if you think about it, shame is very much of a a physical response. It's kind of analogous to what we're talking about. Shame is extremely harsh. It's mm-hmm. a very harsh feeling. It doesn't feel good. And so, if I can find some way to literally snooze mm-hmm. through shame, you're doggone right. I'm going to yeah. try to do that, and I can easily get caught in an addictive behavior. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to let you guys off the hook. I don't think that snooze button addiction really counts in the dictionary. <laughs> addictions. Okay. So shame lodges not only in our physical bodies, but it also lodges in what we talked about last week. We talked about the human spirit last week, Mm -hmm. and particularly spiritual intelligence and how important it is to develop our spirituality as part of our um, body, mind, spirit uh, 
uh, recovery, if we think about it holistically. And uh, not only does shame affect my physical body, but it, it, it affects my, my spirit in terms of my caring for you, mm-hmm. my caring for myself, my aspirations in terms of living um, into what I believe I'm here on this planet to accomplish and so on. Mm-hmm. It tends to dampen all of that. And so it, it reduces our potentials. It's why it's so important that we find long-term successful sustained antidotes to shame because mm-hmm. it will really pull us down not only physically and emotionally but also spiritually mm-hmm. i have an image and i'm going to ask austin if you can bring up this image it's a it's an image of of what shame does to us body mind and spirit and it makes i saw this image and i thought this image really captures it can you see that okay yeah it's just like it just makes us want to close in on ourselves we've talked before about shame as being a freeze response in the brain it, uh, it freezes us inside ourselves, and it freezes us. It, it creates a wall between us and others. And so we want to hide in our shame. And you and I have talked some about that. Mm-hmm. So uh, just to, to reiterate, shame is a relational emotion. And it actually crops up in our most significant relationships more so. Let me ask you a question, my friend. Mm-hmm. Why would I be more vulnerable to shame in my most important relationships, or you, than we would be in relationships that matter less to us? Isn't that kind of backwards? Why would it be more for you with your wife, let's say, in terms of vulnerability to shame, than with a complete stranger that you met on the sidewalk outside this building? Any thoughts? No, the first thought that I- came to mind as well I think the vulnerability part of it is pretty big because um, you know they know they know more about you than a complete stranger yeah you know and I feel like this is just me talking personally but uh, for for the shame that I had in the past it was always well they know about me uh, they know deeply about me so I don't want them to bring something up that they know about me mm-hmm. to try to mm-hmm. use as as ammo to to hurt me yeah. more yeah. than I already feel. They have hurt. access to your heart, don't they? Yeah, and exactly. so there's a capacity That's, to be much more hurt. I think you're way think, to put it. I think you're using the, the term vulnerability really applies here. The vulnerability that we have in authentic intimate relationships mm-hmm. is so much greater. If you think about this developmentally, when you grow up uh, in whatever is your caregiving environment, these individuals have access to shaping our hearts. And mm-hmm. so if wounds are laid down, we talked about abuse or abandonment, mm-hmm. we about neglect, various kinds of, of being violated. If in the context of your most sacred relationships you've been violated, those, um, those grooves have been laid down, then they will tend to come up only in relationships that cut that deep. Mm. And so the vulnerability you're talking about, for example, in relationship to a partner is so much deeper than with a stranger. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only do they know more about you, just the way that you just said, Odie, mm-hmm. but they have access to parts of, of yourself that might be less uh, open or less uh, uh, less observed, less, mm-hmm. less, less available in more superficial relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm less likely to be ashamed by the way a grocery clerk deals with me unless I'm close to the grocery <laughs> clerk than I am my partner or my family members. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. We, we talk about this when it happens in the context of, of important relationships, when trust is broken in these relationships. 
of, uh, in, in terms of some kind of violation. It can be a violation of being abandoned, a violation of being a, a, a boundary being crossed. There's a scar that's laid down. Mm -hmm. And um, the scar that's laid down, it could be contained in that image of the record, is that mm -hmm. there's something that gets remembered there. Yeah. But what I want to say, like with the, the record uh, analogy earlier, is that there are very few traumas that are so isolated. It's possible that you'll have a single trauma and mm -hmm. some people have just one horrific trauma in their lives. Mm -hmm. Bombs do drop, and I'm not denying that. Right. <clears throat> but most individuals I've worked with historically, and I certainly relate to this personally as well, it's not so much an isolated trauma, it's a whole, it's, it's a whole repetition of that trauma or variations on it again and again and again. And that's really what is the foundation of patterns. So when I talk right. about the record album, there's a pattern there, enough so that the needle won't go past the pattern, it falls into the pattern, right. it's like bam, it goes mm -hmm. like that. That's more how it goes for most of us. Right. Surely it can happen in a single trauma, but for many of us, it's, it's a whole series of traumas. In fact, enough so that if you have a series of traumas laid down uh, early, especially early in your developmental years, there can be something, a single trauma later, mm -hmm. that actually comes in your life and it goes right into that sinkhole. Mm -hmm. And so they'll yeah. tend to attract each other uh, in terms of the way that the psychology, the, the way that the psyche remembers that is that in both cases, it's, it's danger and red alert. And so it's like a PTSD, post-traumatic right. response. Something can happen years later that goes into that place. In fact, I'm gonna give an example later today from something that came up just this week for me that gives an example of something that feels so far removed in terms of time can really affect us in the present. Mm. But somebody has a comment here. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna read it. <laughs> okay. I need to pull off screen here to read it. Is it possible to erase those deep grooves or, or do you just try to create new grooves? It seems like my life is getting better in recovery and therapy, but some wounds never seem to heal. Hmm. I'd like to answer that question, but in order to answer, it's a great question. Thank you, appreciate it very much. I'd like to answer that question, but I'll do a better job of that if I can do it towards the end of our conversation. So let me reread it real quickly to store it in my mind and I do want to come back to it. It's a great question. Uh, Austin, if somebody else writes in a question, if we can have access to this one later on, I definitely want to come back to it because it, it will really be a perfect way to anchor, I think, where we're going. Thank you for the question and we, we will definitely come back to it. So we've talked about the fact that when trust is broken, it can be a single instance, but it's oftentimes uh, a, a scar that's laid down that is like the record album where it's a network of, of, of scars rather than a single scar. Mm -hmm. And it's the network that makes us vulnerable to future trauma and as well as the emotional after effects of it, of depression, anxiety, and for sure addiction. Mm -hmm. One of the ways of thinking about it is that, that uh, and you can think about how this happened in your life, and we're going to do an exercise in a couple of minutes that will look at this. One of the ways of thinking of this is that whatever patterns you brought to your marriage to your wife, hmm. some of those patterns may have lain dormant across your guys' relationship, hmm. and they may, they may come up at some point, and it means that, that it's just a reactivation of an old, it's like triggers an old memory. Right. And there's a way to think about it is that some of these early experiences, let's say with shame, particularly with shame, is that traumatic experience, especially if, if it's repeated again and again, it actually becomes the template or the blueprint mm -hmm. for what I expect to find in new relationships. Mm -hmm. So let's say I grew up in my family of origin with certain, uh, certain challenges, mm -hmm. and, and some part of me stores that away so that when I seek a partner, mm -hmm. I actually can seek a partner in which it feels like 
the status quo is the same. I can, and so the key here, and this gets back to the question that's been asked here, is if some of these patterns come up from before and now they're in my relationship, they're in your relationship to your wife or me to mine, hmm. is can we heal those? And the answer is yes. And we'll talk about the, the uh, one of the mechanisms of that here in just a moment. Okay. So the patterns will affect how what we expect from others. In fact, sometimes what they'll do, and you can think of how this goes for you with your wife, is it will sometimes blind us to who they are because we see them through that lens, through mm. the lens of disappointment, the lens of, of expectations dashed, dashed, the lens of predicting that they're going to respond a certain way. Even when they don't, we can sometimes right. not see them because it's through a distorted lens. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> Let me give a couple of examples just to kind of uh, get us thinking about this and then we'll move into an exercise. Let's say, for example, in terms of one of the grooves in the record, let's say that you had a caregiver in your uh, growing up years that moved away from you whenever you stood up for yourself hmm. or perhaps moved away from you when you were particularly creative. Hmm. So this would be the child running to its mom or dad or whoever would be the primary caregiver with some kind of creative product. Look what I did. Mm -hmm. Or uh, so that'd be in terms of creativity. In terms of standing up for oneself, it'd be the child that would set a boundary and the parent wouldn't allow for that boundary to be there. No, I don't like peas. <laughs> no, you're going to have peas. <laughs> and that gets overridden. And I realize that there's a balance here of working this out because I don't know that anybody congenitally likes peas. But, but if you get overridden when you make a stand on something that's really uh, uh, central to you, mm -hmm. uh, th that can lead to certain almost predictable results. So let me ask you and us here right now, mm. what, might, what might you imagine would be the result if you stood up for yourself as little Odie or little Bobby or, or maybe created something creative as little mm. Odie or little Bobby and you had a parent that either turned away from it or punished it? What, how do you think that might affect you in terms of that record groove into adulthood? Any thoughts about that? I mean, with the whole of the, the peas, <laughs> what, uh, I mean, it, it may not seem like a, a grand deal, but it's just an example I know, yeah. but I'm sure it's happened before, mm -hmm. but I'm sure it could probably, that could leak into other parts of, uh, say if it was me that didn't like peas, for example, mm -hmm. I feel like that would leak into other parts of my personality where maybe when I grew up, when I grew up, I had a certain, a similar stand mm -hmm. about something completely different. Mm -hmm. yep. But you know, and then my parent or caregiver, whatever, right, right. they did the same thing. Yep. Then I feel like it probably turned on that switch of that time where yeah. I said, I don't like peas. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. probably, um, not just with a caregiver, but maybe even in other areas of my life, I feel, yeah, could yeah, probably leak yeah. into that relationships, career. Yeah. You know, I, think. I use that example, and as I'm listening to you talk about this, Odie, I wasn't really thinking about it, because the truth is, in adulthood, I like peas. <laughs> but I as, I was, as I was listening to you, I have a memory. I was, I was five or six, uh -huh. and I got the brilliant idea that here's my plate and I had peas on it. Mm -hmm. I got the brilliant idea, if I just hid the peas under the edge of the plate, 
no one would see it and I could get away with not eating the peas. Mm -hmm. So I guess there's some point at which I didn't like peas. And so I, I did do that. I took all the peas off the plate and I hit it around the plate. And my memory, it can be distorted by a few years that have passed since then, is that my mom came to pick up the plate after I ate and there was a perfect concentric circle of peas <laughs> <laughs> where, the, where the, the bottom part of the plate had been. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if that's because I was not able to do what they call conservation as a, you know, that if you, if you hide a ball from a child under, under, under a blanket, it will assume the ball disappeared. It won't go looking for the ball. It disappeared. Hmm. So maybe I thought that if I put the peas out of sight that they're gone, <laughs> they weren't. Yeah. And so what I remember is the punishment that came for this. I had to go stand in the corner. I do remember this. Mm. I had to go stand in the corner, and I think it seemed like forever. It was probably for five minutes, but for me that would have been like five years. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the interesting thing is it did not sear itself into my memory enough so that I don't like peas in adulthood. Mm. But I think it's symbolic, and it was you're talking about it that reminded me of it. I think it's symbolic of maybe other parts of my setting boundaries or stating preferences that could have been overridden. And I definitely grew up in an environment where that happened habitually. That happened a lot. Right. That made it very difficult for me moving into this particularly young adulthood and being able to tell you what I like and don't like because hmm. it had been overridden. Right. Yeah. And this isn't about blaming mom or dad or anybody else. It's mm -hmm. just to say that my sensitivity around this was that it wasn't just a single P incident. It's back to that record spinning around mm. is yeah. that it happened enough times that I really did inherit uh, a, a vulnerability around asserting myself, whether it's peas or something that matters more to me. Mm -hmm. I like peas, but I don't like other things. And mm -hmm. I don't think I learned that it was okay to state that I didn't like things. Enough so that when my own daughter Amanda grew up, I knew it was really important for me to support her not liking peas. Right. I don't think we ever dealt with peas, but we dealt with <laughs> other things. And I remember when she was very young, I must be I know I'm not the only parent. I was a parent that mm -hmm. was so happy when she said no. Mm. <laughs> People talk about the, the terrible twos <laughs> saying no. Right. I was actually celebrating her being able to say no because I, I was very aware that growing up that I wasn't allowed to state boundaries. Does that make sense? I'm trying to grasp it. I, I think it, it does, but I guess just to summarize it in my mind, yep, yep. you can just let me know if it's yay or nay. Okay. Um, so what ended up happening from your experience is that you weren't growing up that one experience either sort of or it did lead to you not being able to assert yourself? It wasn't that one experience. Okay. It, was it was the repetition, repetition of that experience. Repetition, but That's, in different scenarios. Yeah. So when I mentioned peas earlier, right. I literally was not thinking about that. I just grabbed something. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, right. And I go, wait, 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 wait. That actually happened. Wait, wait, wait. I had a pea situation. <laughs> I did. And then and it occurs to me that the peas don't matter. I can laugh about mm. that. And I, and I do right. love peas. They're one of my favorite vegetables. But... But what it brings up symbolically or indirectly right. is that that type of interaction happened enough so in my childhood that I ended up, I feel, felt like very limited. I can remember in high school and adolescence mm -hmm. envying friends of mine who seemed to be very clear about their preferences. And right. I, had, I, I had had that kind of stamped out of me mm -hmm. where I didn't have a really clear preference. I can think of lots of examples. I won't go into them. Right. Enough so to say that there was a pattern that got created, not from that single incident. Mm -hmm. It wasn't from... The record going around once, it was the record going around 
hundreds or even right. thousands of times, mm -hmm. and that did leave a lasting gotcha. uh, pattern for me. And that's really what we're talking about is a pattern or a template that goes like that. that makes sense? Yeah. That's, yeah. Let's, okay. let's, let's pick another one uh, to work with. By the way, I want to say this, mm -hmm. is that the relevance of what we're talking about to addiction and recovery may not be obvious, but let's just touch on it for just a second. Is that to the extent that I have learned to suppress who I am and not assert who I am, is it, it there's a there's a level of, of distress with that. Mm. There's, there's something in us that wants to self-delineate, that wants to assert ourselves, that wants to demarcate kind of like who we are and who we're not. Mm. And to the extent that that's been encumbered or compromised, it leaves me vulnerable to feelings of anxiety. So let's say that in adulthood, mm -hmm. Bob, what do you like? I might get anxious around that. Well, what does that have to do with addiction? It has everything to do with addiction because if I walk around brewing in enough anxiety or enough lack of self-confidence or enough lack of self-assertion mm -hmm. makes me way more vulnerable back to what we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. which is the snooze button. Mm. <laughs> if I can put the snooze button on and comfort myself mm. when I'm feeling that uncomfortable feeling, you better believe I'm going to push for the snooze button. Mm. I hope I'm not unfairly maligning the snooze button, you guys. <laughs> but but, but do, do you see what I'm saying? So yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's even an indirect line from this kind of pattern that's laid down to our later adopting addictive behaviors. Mm. Okay. Um, let me give another example. Let's, let's talk about an example in society. You and I are both males. Mm -hmm. And there are parts of, uh, I'm assuming for you, and I know for me, there are parts of my being male that were accepted societally, for sure. Mm -hmm. And that, in fact, they got rewarded. Uh, but there are other parts of my being male, that, of course, me being who I am as male, that were not, that were rejected. Mm -hmm. And uh, similar as we were talking about with, with uh, asserting yourself or being creative, mm -hmm. the same for me just in terms of societal expectations of this is what boys do and this is what girls do. <laughs> well, I did things that boys do and I did things that girls do and we all right. do. We're yeah. a mix of things. We're not that defined, right. except society can be very rigid and it depends on where you grew up. But I grew up where gender roles were really clear. And I don't know about you growing up, oh, yeah. it was really clear what yeah. a guy does and what a, what a girl does. Mm -hmm. And um, and so what it meant for me, and that, well, let me just ask you, what happens? What happens, Mr. Odie, <laughs> Mr. Addiction Specialist? <laughs> what happens when we live in a society or a culture or subculture, let's say, mm -hmm. where certain parts of who we are, now we'll, we'll limit it to gender roles right now, are allowable? Whereas other parts are disallowed. Any thoughts about how that affects us long-term over our lives? I believe it, it would really hinder who we are as, as a unique in, individual. Yes. You know, because yes. uh, I yes. can think of an example right now. Uh, I have a immediate relative that has, has a, a son when he was growing up, mm -hmm. he he liked to play with Barbie dolls, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but um, she she kind of took that as like, oh no, is he gonna grow up being, you know, um, homosexual? Okay, being you know? gay, being homosexual. Yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. I remember having a conversation with him and just saying that, well, not necessarily. You mm -hmm. know, maybe they just like the material of the doll mm -hmm. or just how the doll looks. Maybe he likes girls. Yeah at his age already yeah. <laughs> who knows yeah, but uh yeah, yeah but i think something like that um could definitely hinder yes 
yeah. uh, who they are as a person yeah. when yeah. they grow up. Yeah, yeah. I Because I'm a musician and I played music my entire mm -hmm. life, I played with a lot of musical artists that did not grow up interested in athletics. I happened mm -hmm. to be interested in athletics as a boy growing up. It just had how it worked out. Mm -hmm. I had lots of friends who were really into their musical craft mm -hmm. and were not into athletics. And it worked fine as long as they didn't have a father or mother that had it in them to say, well, little Odie, little Bobby, you're going you're gonna to be a jock. Mm -hmm. and, and, and there were some that had that yeah. and it bedeviled them because they, they doubted themselves. They had an artistic expression that mm -hmm. wanted to come through. And it just didn't happen to manifest in terms of athletic uh, ability or athletic uh, interest mm -hmm. for sure. I know that for myself, I wasn't so much interested in Barbies. My sister had Barbies, but I was uh, I was very interested and moved by poetry very mm -hmm. early on. I mean, really early on, for whatever reason, yeah. I was really moved by it. And I've also been moved by beauty, moved to tears by it mm -hmm. since I was a little boy. And I learned to turn that off to a great extent mm -hmm. because it was not encouraged. It was actually made fun yeah. of. Mm -hmm. uh, not only in, in society, but actually in my family it was made mm -hmm. fun of. And it was kind of a, a boy who's sensitive. You yeah, know? It's like exactly. It really has a dramatic impact on us. And again, the line to this, if I don't get to express certain parts of myself mm -hmm. because of family rules and roles or because of societal rules and roles then it makes me much more vulnerable to self-medication to deal with the pain of having to lop off parts of myself mm, that makes yeah. Sense? yeah okay so an exercise <laughs> for Bob and Odie and for the rest of us who are here together I'd like to ask that you locate one relationship-based message. We've been talking about those mm -hmm. messages like, with, with, was it a nephew of yours or a, rel a relative of yours that you were talking about? Mm -hmm. It's a relative of yours. Uh, and I've given you a couple examples of uh, 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 messages that I picked up growing up. Beyond just peas, <laughs> it was very difficult for me to assert myself uh, mm -hmm. in, in, my, in my family of origin growing up. And as a boy growing into manhood, mm -hmm. there were, I was many parts, and there were many parts of me that were allowed and fine, mm -hmm. and other parts of me, the creative, the artistic, the aesthetic, um, the tender, those parts of me as a male were kind of questioned by my society. I have to tell you, I thought of this as you were talking a minute ago. One of my dearest friends throughout the last uh, 20 years, Simon, who comes from England, mm -hmm. It'll give you an idea of how conventional my views were because I assumed, this is embarrassing to admit, but it's the truth. <laughs> I assumed that women are just much more geared towards noticing fabrics and colors. And it, it made me, when you were talking about your nephew uh -huh. and uh, the fabrics of Barbie and so on, I assumed that that was more of a female thing. Mm -hmm. It may or may not be, but I assumed that. Right. And then I met Simon, and Simon <laughs> is the most tuned in mm -hmm. of anybody I've ever known to texture and to color and mm -hmm. so on. Mm -hmm. He's actually turned that into a worldwide business where he makes gift boxes of the highest order. Wow. Uh, and and his, so he's utilized that for his career. He can walk in this room right now with Austin and Bob and Odie, take a look around, walk out, you can talk to him tomorrow. He can tell us what we were wearing. Wow. He's just so tuned in. <laughs> now, I thought that was a female thing. It's a, it's a female plus Simon thing, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> which is to say it's not a female thing. Yeah. It's a human thing. Mm -hmm. And so he, that I've known him for 20 years. So as recently as 20 years ago, mm -hmm. I remember scratching my head and going, how is he a guy? <laughs> and, uh, and he is. He is very much a guy. So I just, uh, yeah. So these messages can really foul us up. So I want to ask us to ponder for just a moment a message that you grew up with 
that let's talk about it in the context of grew up with a message that may end up affecting you now in a limiting or a, a, a negative way mm. in your life. So let's just think about that for a second. I want, if you're in our audience, to just ponder that for just a moment. Got an unfair advantage because I thought of this this week <laughs> and it came up for me this week. But let's give you a second to think about that. Some message you grew up with that limits you. To put it in the language of shame, some message that you grew up with that paralyzes or freezes you from being all that you can be. Mm -hmm. Your nephew, he has lots of parts of himself, including whatever that was about for him. Mm -hmm. And that could have been shamed out of him. I had poetry nearly shamed out of me. Mm -hmm. Okay, I hope that you'll give some thought to this and you can certainly uh, journal more into this after our podcast today. The next piece I want you to do is I want you to, if you can, pause for a second, think of that message, feel into it, and see if you can locate the feeling that goes with that message. We're talking about a deep, repetitive mm -hmm. groove in your, the, the record of your psyche. Mm -hmm. See if you can locate in your body where you feel what is the feeling that's associated with that message which itself is based in relationship. So locate in your body the feeling associated with that message. Okay. Um, what I'd like to do is, we haven't rehearsed this, mm -mm. <laughs> and so I, I want to invite you, Odie, if you're interested in sharing, if something came up for you, oh, yeah. <clears throat> and I've actually prepared something to share today, um, and so maybe we can talk about that for a moment, we can share these things. Um, what I want to suggest to you all early on here, uh, before Odie uh, shares with us, uh, uh, that there really is hope uh, uh, in our working these through, and this gets back to the question that was asked earlier. Uh, it starts by being able to locate the roots of our shame. If you can, if you can locate these 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 feelings that come up, oftentimes in our bodies, if you can begin to locate them uh, in patterns that have been laid down, that's a good start. And I'll say more about that in a minute. But I want you to know that this is not an exercise in futility. There's actually value of being able to go inside and locate something. Otherwise, it can be very diffuse, can really affect our lives, and we can't track it down. So we're trying to kind of locate or anchor that feeling in our bodies mm -hmm. to historical roots. So in that context, is something you'd be willing to share? Yeah, absolutely. When I was uh, growing up, I'd have to say probably the beginning of, of high school, I had my first computer and I was interested in, in hip hop, as we mentioned in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And there was this uh, software called Fruity Loops that mm -hmm. what that basically does is it just creates, um, creates like, creates music, but yeah. uh, synthesize or a digital yep. version of music mm -hmm. and so i wanted to create my own my own instrumentals my own beats as mm -hmm. they call them yeah. and so that's what i i did basically mm -hmm. most of my teen years that's good i didn't know that that's yeah. awesome it's just, awesome. Do, <laughs> it's yeah, just doing cool. that but 
the issue was that my dad would see me doing this and like hours on end yeah. I'd just be on my computer just zoned out like yeah. just doing this and uh he would just tell me it's like you're if you keep doing that you know you're not going to do anything with it so just I'm sorry yeah. I'm laughing because we're in a studio <laughs> right now with all kinds of technology <laughs> <laughs> the irony of this place yeah. please, please no, just, I could not hold myself back and okay. that's why okay. I, I, okay. that's why I wanted nothing to, will ever come yeah. of you son if you keep doing this <laughs> and so that's why I wanted to bring it up too is because yeah. like just uh, where I felt this to answer that because he would yeah. tell me this on and off yeah. where I'd feel it was in my jaw but well, that's just because I would get upset like yeah. I'd get angry because I knew I knew that he was wrong yeah. like him just telling me that but mm. luckily mm. like I had uh, you know I had that grace from God and that yeah. insight from God to let yes. me know that yeah. you know I'm sorry but just mm. don't listen to him it's, mm. it's going to be fine you keep mm. doing this but funny how, how it turned out that even though I didn't pursue having a hip-hop career, you know, I pursued an online marketing career. So yeah. here we are now. But yeah. that was a message that yeah. I received very, very a lot. Cool. And um, yeah, a great to, get, yeah, to get my dad off the hook on this, yep, yep, yep. he knows what I do. And um, yeah. he never apologized, but I can tell that he's, he's happy yeah. for me, yeah. for where I am yeah. right now. So. It's a humbling message to all of us that are parents or will mm -hmm. one day be parents to realize that we don't really know, do we? Yeah, exactly. We don't really know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a really good example. And what's amazing, I love how you put it, Odie, mm -hmm. is that there was, a, there was a strength or confidence that you had from God mm -hmm. that actually overrode your loyalty to your dad's message mm -hmm. is that you realize that message is not accurate for me. And you had a deeper sense from inside right. um, God's uh, encouragement that you must continue on that. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and it's paid off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, as you were sharing, I was thinking about the question that was asked here about, do we ever, do we ever uh, erase those deep grooves? Mm -hmm. It's implied uh, one, one relevant piece of a response to that. It's implied in your story is that if we can somehow hang in there and find our own truth, which is what you did right. within, thanks be to God, mm -hmm. you were able to override a, something that could have been a wound. If you had complied with that, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, it would have been a different story, mm -hmm. uh, but you didn't. And so mm -hmm. it's like finding a, an anchor in a deeper, deeper truth for yourself, which mm -hmm. was your own truth, even in, as a teenager. Mm -hmm. It's really remarkable. Yeah, thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you. That's a really good example of what we're talking about here, of how it is that something can be shaming and that we, if we can find resource within mm -hmm. or between us and, our, and God, our faith in God, is that we may find a way out of falling into that sinkhole that shame, mm, yeah. that shame is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I'd like to share an example that came up, and it's just kind of an everyday example. It came up this last week, and it actually uh, informed very much my preparing for uh, this week's podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, my wife and I were putting a picture on the wall this weekend, and um, <clears throat> this is going to be laughable to everybody in this room except for me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we're putting a picture on the wall, and and I was holding it up so we could kind of make sure it was level, and and she made some comment like, uh, "Watch for the thing." I can't remember exactly what it was, but the thing was part of what she said. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, I have no idea what the thing is. And, and she repeated it, except as it can happen. She said it louder, like, if I say it louder, <laughs> it'll be clear what the thing is. 
have no idea what the thing is. And so, and I got, I got angry. I got angry. So it literally went from zero to 60 about a thing. <laughs> okay. And so we put it down and I, and uh, I was, I was really angry. It was like out of, just completely blindsided by this. And I paused for a second and I realized I was angry and, and because I guess I've done so much work on this in my life, I had a rare moment of insight. We can attribute this to God, honest to goodness, because it was grace. I remember looking at her and saying, I think you're getting angry at me. She was getting impatient with me for not knowing what the thing was. I said, I, and I was angry when I said this to her. I, I said, I think what's going on is that you've touched a place inside with both mom and dad. They expected me to read their minds. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't do that, there was punishment coming. Mm, That's okay. my best guess. Yeah. And so then her response was, well, here, let me give you a hug. And I said, no way. <laughs> I, that's what I said. I said, no way. And I said, I need to just breathe. I yeah. need some space. Because even though I had some, at least dim, I don't think it was even dim, it was some fair awareness of what had gotten activated in this particular instance. That's mm -hmm. many more times I've not been aware, but I was this time. I wasn't ready to uh, uh, to relax into a hug. And so uh, I that was what we do. We went ahead and we put up the thing. Mm -hmm. Turns out that the thing <laughs> was this little gold little bracket on the back of the, 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 the painting, the piece of art. There were two little gold brackets. Mm -hmm. And I was supposed to know that that's what the thing was. <laughs> it's laughable now. Yeah. But there was something about her getting tweaked, getting angry at me that made me angry. Mm. And so we put up the thing with the things. <laughs> we put up the painting, which we actually liked. Yeah. And then I sat down and it was about 10 minutes past. And then she was standing there and said, okay, come on over. And we hugged. We hugged. Mm. And I said, we're good. We're good. <laughs> so it took, me, it took me about 10 minutes. So what does that have to do with peas, uh, not liking peas, and what does that have to do with records? My sense of it was that there was something intuitive there, and I actually wrote it down this week because it just happened in real time, is that because I was not encouraged to assert myself as a kid, mm -hmm. I can't say I don't like peas. Right. I can't say to my parent, I don't know what the thing is. I honestly, I couldn't say that, mm -hmm. and so inside I had to swallow that, and then and 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 then guess what the thing was. The problem with guessing what the thing is, if you have parents that are impatient with you, if you don't guess, if you guess wrong, then there's further ridicule or punishment, mm -hmm. and so it went into a really kind of a fight or flight place for right. me. So what I did in this case with my wife is I first of all did the thing that I had a hard time doing as a child, which is assert myself. I don't like peas. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what the thing is, and I don't appreciate you getting angry at me because I don't know what the thing is. Mm -hmm. That's really what I said to yeah. her. So I asserted myself, um, and, and then just a miracle. The heavens opened up. I was aware of what it was because I lived this so much growing up, and mm -hmm. it has affected me in adulthood, yeah. is that I can't possibly know what you're thinking. And in mm -hmm. fact, when you're getting angry with me, it's going into little boy Bobby place, mm -hmm. parents being disappointed with me, being frustrated with me, mm -hmm. that I'm stupid or, 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 or that I'm going to get knocked around or whatever. Yeah. It's not a good thing. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to locate that. And it's interesting that doing that did not miraculously make me loving Bobby. <laughs> it made me back off. Yeah. It was like, no, not yet, not yeah. yet. I wasn't aggressive, I said, not yet. 
And my instinct said, if we wait for a few minutes, it's hard to stay in that fight or flight place for mm -hmm. all that long. Yeah. We can move in and out of it, but generally if you give it some time, it'll calm down. Mm -hmm. And it was, I, I don't know, I wasn't timing it, but I think it was around 10 minutes mm -hmm. is that I was able to do that and we had a good rest of our day, yeah. had a good rest of our day. Yeah. So I've come up with the formula, which is <laughs> for me, I need to learn to assert myself like mm -hmm. I did that day, set some limits, this is yeah. not okay. I need, if possible, to locate what's going on because honest to goodness, it is laughable to you in Austin because yeah. who cares about the things, Bob, on the thing? Except I did, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so it helps for me to locate that because the fact of the matter is, is that let's say that you get into an argument with your wife right. where it goes someplace into this sinkhole of your father's criticizing you for wasting your time on Fruity Loops or my parents wanting me to know what the thing is, mm -hmm. is things can move from zero to 60, like I said, really fast. And if we can locate it, it keeps it clear that this isn't me about me and my wife. This is about you and your wife, so much as it's about this groove in the record. Mm -hmm. And it, it, the, the, the needle just went into that. Yeah. And then I don't know how you're wired, but I know that for me, that is not a time for me to get all lovey-dovey Yeah, because no, I'm, <laughs> I'm still pissed. I'm still pissed. It takes a while to relax. <laughs> I'll give you an example from most recent um this morning <laughs> yeah this stuff happens every yeah. day by the way well, these <laughs> examples this is just life as it is yeah okay. i wanted um my wife had has a day off today and so i was gonna hop in the shower she was gonna fix my lunch and whatnot and so i hopped in the shower and i told her hey please you know pack me pack me a snack but i didn't give her any specifics i just a thing. pack me a pack snack me a thing. Pack me a thing. <laughs> but um I just said that. I was like, pack me a snack. And so I took a shower. I usually take 10, 15 minutes. I was done in the shower. And then um, when I was done, she came over and she asked me, what do you want for a snack? And I was just like, I got upset okay. because okay. I was, uh, I didn't want to be late okay. to work for once here. She was asking you too late. She, yeah. was, she needed to pack the snack while you were in there. Right, in exactly. So that's what upset me. Yeah. But um, mm -hmm. so, you know, big yeah. argument, whatever. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. but I was thinking about it throughout the day and I was thinking, okay, where, you know, through the stuff that we've talked about as right. well, like, right. where did that come from? Yeah. Why yeah. am I so upset yeah. that yeah. Yeah. it was just something so simple. But I remember a time when my dad would do that to to my mom, but uh, mm -hmm. he would get clearly upset, uh, mm -hmm. comedically upset, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But um, for her not getting whatever, like it, something ready, okay, got because it. she's doing other stuff. Help me what? Help me understand what comedically upset looks like or sound. What is, what is it? <laughs> so, was it comedic at the time or like comedic in hindsight? And no, at the time as well. It was comedic. It was so bad. It was comedic. Uh, yeah, because okay. it okay. was it was so. It's, and my mom too. It didn't really pay him any mind because yeah. it was something really ridiculous to get okay. upset about. Okay. So she wouldn't really pay him any mind, but she would still get everything ready. Right, right, and right. then okay. he'd get over it. Because okay. he would realize later, he's like, yeah, that's pretty simple. But that he would never apologize, but he, okay. that's okay. what was comedic okay. about it, to okay. me anyways. Okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay. We have different versions of comedy, yeah, but I'll grant you that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. But you got, did you feel comedic this morning? No, absolutely not. Okay, okay, yeah, just no. okay. <laughs> I follow what you're saying with your father. It's one step removed, but for you with your wife, it's those examples. It's a perfect example. Yeah, of it. I, but I laugh about it now yeah, because it was yeah, something really stupid. Yeah, so yeah. I guess. Whether it's, yeah. whether it's the thing or Fruity Loops thing, or a snack, yeah. it's this kind of stuff. You've heard of that phrase before, death by a th thousand paper yeah, cuts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It isn't necessarily the single trauma. It's all these little ones that mm -hmm. can, can affect us. And so I want to get back to the question 
that was earlier on there. Thank you very much, Austin. You're going to bring this up. I do want to respond to this. And then we'll read, we'll read this more recent comment. Thank you, Austin. A man of many talents. <laughs> He's able to do so many things. <laughs> Answer the phone even. <laughs> the earlier comment was, is it possible to erase those deep grooves or do you just try to create new grooves? I don't know if we erase these grooves mm -hmm. that are laid down so deeply. But I do know that, that, that even you're being able to laugh about it now and hopefully repair things with your wife. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just took, took you all through a process that started off being really a, 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 like a, a scab, a trauma got ripped off there mm -hmm. and I got back into it, but we ended up being able to move through it. Uh, uh, and I'm grateful for that. And so we created a new possibility. Mm -hmm. A, I got to assert myself, which is not, was not possible when I was a child. Mm -hmm. I got to assert myself. Uh, I didn't torch the relationship in that moment. I was not happy. I wasn't ready to hug, mm -hmm. but I needed a time to do that. And then we were able to repair and come full circle. Mm -hmm. And so that's really creating a new circuit. You might think about it in terms of like laying down a new neural pathway. Mm -hmm. And we get a chance to do that in healthful relationships in the present. And so you can heal. You know, you get to work on technology here with Austin day in and day out. Mm -hmm. And so there's a healing of that. It's not like a gaping wound for you. Mm -hmm. If you had denied yourself that or had been denied that, mm -hmm. we might be having a very different conversation. Mm -hmm. If I could not be assertive in my current relationship, that would be a problem. But mm -hmm. I can do that with my wife. She actually encourages that. Right. And it's not graceful always. Sometimes it's very clumsy and awkward. It was mm -hmm. this weekend, but we got through it. And so it is the possibility of laying down a new pattern. Mm -hmm. um, uh, she, this person goes on to say, it seems like my life is getting better in recovery and therapy, but some deep wounds never seem to heal. I don't want to be Pollyanna-ish about this because some wounds are so deep, mm -hmm. but I really do believe that the healing just as the trauma is laid down relationally, the healing can be uh, can also be. In fact, I want to say this: I believe it's necessary that it be laid down relationally, mm -hmm. whether it's with a good friend, with a therapist, with a partner. Is that I, I do believe that we can lay down healing. I remember years ago reading Daniel Stern, the developmental psychologist, who's had a tremendous amount of influence on me, and and he was and he was talking in essence about these grooves in the psyche, mm -hmm. and and the question I had to myself is: Do I have to have that? many positive grooves to make up for that many negative grooves mm -hmm. if it went all night long and it went several thousand times do I need several thousand not traumatic times and what he said was very powerful to me is that because we have access to memory and words like you and I are talking right now mm -hmm. we can mend things very very much more quickly than we're laid down developmentally mm -hmm. it doesn't require every single one of those having to have a healing experience mm -hmm. it might be a ratio of one to a hundred or one to a thousand I don't know for mm -hmm. sure mm -hmm. but just being able to process it my being able to process with you all what happened this weekend that heals a lot yeah. of, of wounds from childhood mm -hmm. just to be able to have a different experience nowadays. Does it mean that it goes away? Well, I'm 63 and I still got a vulnerability <laughs> to losing it over yeah. things. Yeah. And so clearly <laughs> we're not quite out of the woods yet, Bobby boy, yeah. but I'm really confident of having a different response to it. And that's more the order of the day. Mm -hmm. It really makes a difference being in a relationship where there's mutuality around this, mm -hmm. where there's healing and the possibility of that rather than contempt or animosity or polarization. Yeah, and I agree, completely agree with that because even today, to this day for me, uh, when anybody really tells me that I can't do, 
I can't do s- something specifically. You know, I still kind of get that like, like this, yeah. it starts tightening up. Yeah. Like, mm, yeah. don't tell me that I can't yeah. do that because yeah. yeah. I know yeah. that I can. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Nevertheless, you know, you like you said, you you're able to yeah. look internally and realize that where the root is and. And have a different experience. Yeah, and have a different experience. Like, anyway. like you'll be going home tonight, and and it'll be a different closure and closure to the mm-hmm. story than might otherwise have happened. The same for me this mm-hmm. weekend. There's a further comment here, uh, Austin. I wonder if we could scroll down. I just want to respond to this. I can just look on your screen. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you. Let me just. Uh, this individual said, your formula is like my discovery that I have to shift my nervous system, pause and breathe and movement. It's very much built into this for me. Mm-hmm. Very much, we talked earlier how shame locates itself in our body. I had to physically pause. I had to, I had to wait till that shame passed and the anger associated with it before I could be loving again. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, there's, there's a shift in the nervous system before you could, re- this person says, before I can return to loving relational mode. Yeah. Absolutely. The final comment, the old groove might have started an early relationship but it is etched in our nervous systems. And that's the part of me. I think that, that we do have, we've been using this word vulnerability. I know that for me, there are certain vulnerabilities. Psychology calls them complexes, where you just have certain kind of potholes in your psyche, where there are vulnerabilities right. or wounds, red, hot, you know, hot buttons or whatever. And to be aware of them, to be able to talk about them the way that you and I are, mm-hmm. is half the battle of one. And then to be yeah. able to restore a relationship when you run into one of those, to repair it like you mm-hmm. are talking about, or like what I'm talking about, that's the other half of it, it seems like to me. And we have a laboratory in our m- most important relationships for having a different experience than we had developmentally. Yeah. We need to wind up. So let me finish with this, just to say that as I, I'll reiterate there is hope and we're talking about it. I want to thank this individual for uh, your comments because they cut they go right to this is that we can change ourselves right down to our nervous system in our current relationships and it starts with being able to locate what's going on being able to talk about it and locate it in our bodies locate it in our spirits and then and then aim for a different experience mm-hmm. you're having a different experience now in adulthood right yeah. than you might have had as a child I'm having a different experience now I'm asserting myself I'm 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 asserting myself. I have to chill for a second. As a child, I know that I had no words for it. You know, you talked about this. I had it, it was in my throat or in my face or in my gut. I'd have these physical reactions. I had no idea what was going on. I now have an idea of what I was going through. And I'm very interested in reauthoring my life that way. And it sounds like that you are too. Yeah, you all can do that as well. That's that's the hope. Next week, we'll be back to follow up even more on this. We'll be talking about healing the black hole of shame. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about that today. We'll be talking uh, in a few different directions, introducing some more resources. Between now and when I see you next week, I'm going to be flying to Austin, Texas for a conference I'm uh providing the keynote workshop for a conference to professionals in, these are medical professionals, doctors, uh, nurses, uh, believe it or not, veterinarians, hmm. all of whom are part of what's called the professional uh, uh, 
recovery network in the state of Texas where they're uh, uh, working with their respective boards to work through addiction. They've invited me to come to speak to them. Can't wait to do this. It'll be all day Saturday. And it will be applying a lot of what we've talked about today. It's like, what do you do in the context of addiction to deal with the shame that follows on addiction? And also, what do you do to root out shame that may have itself led to addiction? And so uh, we'll we'll be examining that. So I'll come with some fresh ideas from my uh, trip to Texas. Wish me well. And uh, Odie and I look forward to seeing you all uh, next week. I really encourage you to join us next week. Go to my website. If you have any questions, you can leave a message for me at drbobweathers.com and I'll check it when I'm in Austin, okay? Uh, Thank you again for joining us. It's a pleasure having you. Thank you, Austin, for guiding us today. Odie, be well. Have a good week. Have a good week.